Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Fred again to talk about how he wrote, recorded, and produced the album Actual Life, April 14 to December 17, 2020. Fred Gibson, better known as Fred again, is a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer. A classically trained musician, Fred was also heavily inspired by hip-hop and began to experiment with composition and music production during his school years. At the age of 16, through a mutual friend, he joined an a cappella group organised by producer Brian Eno and after impressing him with his musical capabilities, gained Brian as a mentor. By 2014, he was working directly alongside him on Eno's collaborations with Carl Hyde of Underworld. Continuing to venture further into the world of production, Fred co-produced an album with rapper Roots Maneuver and began taking on roles on a number of high-profile tracks from artists including Charlie XCX, Steph London and Little Mix. In 2018, even greater success arrived when he co-wrote George Ezra's smash hit Shotgun. The track spent four weeks at number one, only to be knocked off by Clean Bandit's solo, which Fred also co-wrote and co-produced. In increasingly high demand, 2019 saw Fred share his talents on tracks from artists including Rita Ora, Jess Glynn and BTS, as well as Ed Sheeran's number six collaborations project and Stormzy's Heavy as the Head. The success of each record saw Fred involved as a songwriter or producer on 30% of the number one songs in the UK that year, ultimately leading to him becoming the youngest recipient of the Brit Award for Producer of the Year in 2020. That year, he also released his first album as an artist, working in partnership with rapper Heady One on the album Gang, and in April 2021, he released his debut solo album, Actual Life, April 14 to December 17, 2020, a record that he uses as a diary of his life in the past year, using the sounds around him and the people he meets as inspiration. Today, I've come to Maida Vale to join Fred in his studio, and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Kyle, I Found You. I found you I found you I found you beautiful I found you exploding I found you I found you I found you I found you beautiful I found you exploding I found you That is Kyle, I Found You from the album Actual Life by Fred again and I'm very pleased to say that I am now sat in a studio with Fred himself. Hello Fred. Hello John, how you doing mate? I'm very well thank you, thanks for welcoming us into your, your space. So describe yeah. the space, I mean, it's a beautiful space, I've got a lot of light, I yeah. can see leaves from trees above my head through the windows, through the skylights, um, but this is a, a special studio space, do you work here a lot? Yeah so this is the base of... Um like where I work for most of the sessions, we're in, yeah, Maida Vale. And we're, yeah, we're real lucky to have this. We were looking for a place for years, to be honest. We found this about a year and a half ago. And it was a journalism school. So this room that we sat in was like a classroom with a whiteboard and loads of chairs when I first saw it. 
and yeah now it's all a room within a room and yeah we love it yeah it's really pleasant so who have you worked with in this space I think everyone I've worked with, I've worked with in this space. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's a long, long list. So, um, you know, Stormzy, Ed Sheeran, mm. uh, George Ezra, they've all worked in this room with you. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. Yeah, for and, sure. and countless others. You know, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Because they've been here for two years. So, yeah. Fantastic. But the interesting thing is that we're here not to talk about your work with other people, but to talk about your work, your work yes, as sir. an artist rather than a, no. as a producer or songwriter for other people. But I understand that you didn't actually record this record here. No. So the, I don't know, when I started working on this project three years ago, I just kind of instinctively found myself working on it generally outside. I would just take my laptop places and set up. And then when I'd run out of charge, I'd go work in a cafe and charge it up again and then go out again. I think in hindsight, the little bit of hindsight I have now, I think I was drawn to doing it that way because... One, you can, which is just incredible to me. The fact that you can just sit on the river and make a whole finish like that is to me just like the novelty of that will never wear off. The fact that you don't need anything other than just two hours of charge. So that I just think is an unbelievable like, privilege that we have thanks to technology. But also I think I was kind of probably purposefully moving away from a studio environment. I think for working with other people, which I love doing and I still do, it's nice to have this kind of like studio thing of like this is where we meet and we kind of collide worlds but for what I was trying to make I definitely wanted it to feel like I wanted to not have the posh mic and not have the techie bit of gear I wanted it to just really feel earthy and like it was all built from the world so making it in the world made more sense to me if you know what I mean yeah yeah totally and I guess maybe it put you in a different headspace to being in this room Possibly, yeah, totally different. Where aspects. you're already yeah. thinking you're working with other people, yeah. so because it's such a personal record, and also you brought the world in through sound too, because there's a lot of found sound or yeah. chance encounters totally. that you've recorded that you've incorporated into the music, but also that have inspired the work in yeah. the first place. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's all built from that. I mean, every song, for example, the background noise is always the noise of wherever I am when I first made it. That's just a thing I did because I quite enjoyed it as like a kind of sonic um, stamp of wherever I was. So there's always every song has like a humdrum of like a bar or a city, whatever. I'll just do it on my iPhone and just put it straight in before I start whatever I'm starting. Yeah. Um, the thing that resonates most with me is making trying to make something that feels like a kind of collaborative diary. That's the feeling that when I first started taking these little snippets from like conversations and things that had happened in the actual world it immediately just hit a thing of like this is like this collaborative diary feeling obviously I am the curator of this one but like I loved that feeling because it was still born out of collaboration which is so part of me but just in a much more personal way I think yeah yeah and that's why you know there are brackets after actual life with April the 14th to December the 17th 2020 so that is specifically the time frame of the recording yeah and that's what will be the next one I'm staying on this now I want to yeah do this for as long as I can until I can get as good and pure as I can make the thing. So the next one is, well, I haven't finished it yet, so I don't have the end date. Yeah, but it's it's will be the next set of months. It's the next bit in the diary. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And in terms of uh, real sound, so we just heard a snippet of Kyle. I found you. Mm. That was the first track you started working on. Yeah, um, on April the fourteenth, twenty twenty. Then, yeah. So that one was. You're right. That would be the only one that would be a little bit before. So that would have been earlier that year. Um, I made that 
in the Tate, actually, I remember. So the background noise of that song is the Tate model. Right. And yeah, I mean, his voice is just, it was when I was trying to do this, trying to find melodies in people's speech, specifically the speech ones. And it's amazing to me how much people speak in a key and often also a kind of BPM, like they often have a pocket. So I'll drag in something like Kyle and I'll just start playing along on the piano on my keyboard on my laptop and just playing chords and finding harmony for it that feels like it's serving what he's saying. And it's amazing like how much it'll be like, oh, right, Carl speaks in E flat, which he does. And his like cadence was landing so much on da 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 Sometimes you can bully them into some other shape, but so often they're just telling you what they are and you just have to kind of create the sort of world around them that they can just sort of sit right in. Yeah. So yeah, that was the first one probably, yeah. Amazing. And the first track we're going to look at from the album in more detail is Sabrina, I Am A Party. Yeah. And this was inspired by her speech or her performance. So it's quite interesting because the sample is taken from Sabrina Benaim. Benaim, yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing performance or speech she gives Mm. that is quite hard to work out. Now, is that everything that she's written into a a speech or is it all off the top of her head? Because it's delivered with such intensity and such sincerity. But it's so so rich in terms of the way she articulates herself that surely she must have written it all out beforehand. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, she has this... I know exactly what you mean and that was, I think, probably what was drawing me most to it and the like passion in her like tone. It was the piece of music that I by a long way felt the most conflicted about sampling. Um, I'm a little bit more relaxed about it now, but when I was first making it, I would kind of with each sample go through a kind of existential crisis of like, is this okay? Like, am I bastardizing their emotion? Am I patronizing the purity of what they were saying? Because when I first drag in a thing and logic and start playing over it. At the beginning, it just feels like you're you're just ruining them because you're just playing chords over them and it just feels like you're kind of doing some patronizing film score to what they've done. So usually if I have to like, if I muscle through that first bit and like find a couple things and maybe tune some things and warp some sentences, then sometimes what happens is I'll come back to it and it will be like, oh, okay, this is a different thing now. Now it's okay to mess with it maybe. But with Sabrina, it was for sure the most like, my God, this is a piece of her that I need to be very delicate with. But beautifully, and shouts out to the wonderful Sabrina, she was like probably the most encouraging and sweet of anyone I've sampled when she heard it and has been like really lovely since then. And yeah, it, which was just so encouraging because I was pranging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fantastic to hear and understandable, especially if we hear the original speech. Yeah, um, yeah. On its own. I mean, it's oh, amazing. Really? Yeah, she, she's one with a real BPM pocket. Like when she goes, like I was listening through to it and obviously there's a few different pockets you could catch in what she does. But when she goes, inside of my head, I am a party. Like it's so clear that party is beat one. And it's so clear to me that it's like a triplet that preceded that, like just in the mm. nature of how she said it, that it was kind of natural. And then it's just going into the kind of thing of tuning and stretching these notes so it can, um, I mean, I'll show you. 
Perhaps that's part of the problem. Mom says I thought the problem was that you can't get out of bed. I can't. Anxiety holds me a hostage inside of my house, inside of my head. Mom says where did anxiety come from? Anxiety is the cousin visiting from out of town. Depression felt obligated to bring to the party. Mom, I am the party. Only I am a party I don't want to be at. Mom says yeah, why don't so you try going like it's do you know i mean it's a lot to listen to it it is it's an amazing performance and i've seen the the youtube clip that um well i'll be asking you how you came across Mm. it but i've seen it and it's so powerful yeah and the cadence of what she does reminds me of the beat poets in a way it reminds me of alan ginsburg or jack kerouac when they're screaming into the night yeah Um, yeah. and it has that kind of rhythm to it but it's a personal declaration of her own mental crisis in yeah. a way yeah um and it's so powerful and so moving and she's so on the borderline of cracking up and yeah, yet at yeah, the same yeah. time she's really holding it together mm. because if you were to actually try and deliver that in the way that she delivers it i think it would be really really hard yeah my god my god yeah. how did you come across it i came across it on instagram i don't remember i was aimlessly scrolling as all of us are prone to doing and I truly don't remember. I just came across it and I was immediately just like, oh. And her face is so, like the video of it, it looks like how it sounds as well. Her face tells the story. You could almost have it on mute and you'd get half of the message. Mm. Like, And so, yeah, I mean, you can see how dragging that into like this crass domain of like logic, it just felt like, felt gross. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy that there was something that could be made from it that she loved. Yes, which is fantastic. So we're going to make a big leap now. So we've uh-huh. heard that original inspiration. We'll go straight to the master to hear no the more. end of this process, and then we'll break it all down. All right. I know I should want to go. It's just not that much fun having fun when you don't want to have fun. So we can already hear the journey that you must have gone on to get to this, yeah. the, the finished version of the song. Mm. So having outlined the process in a way, so you, you, you heard the speech, you took it, and then you put it into your your program, yeah. your world, and then you started responding to it. Yeah, so I'd played it, funnily enough, this with this one, I don't know how interesting this is, but I got like a version of it that was in many ways really close, but crucially, like emotionally wrong in that the harmony wasn't serving it right which is this version and this has a different drone it has a one and the five on the drone as opposed to just the third which makes it feel warmer and like more of a hug and i was living with it for ages i was like why does this feel too like you'll hear what i mean when it kicks in Inside of my head. 
like it feels too nice, it's like kinder. And it's hitting the E flat one chord. And the bass is a little bit sweeter sounding like, but crucially, I think the harmony, the fact that the pedal is on one and five, which just makes this like everything becomes quite warm and seventhy and like homely. And the fact that the bass was going to the E flat. And so I lived it for ages because I was like, in so many ways, this is right, but the feeling it leaves me with is wrong. So it took a while to like deconstruct, like, okay, right, if I make the pedal note that runs through the whole thing, that opening drone, if I make that sit on a more haunting note, that will reframe the harmony that is going. And then if I take out the E flat, home one chord, it means it doesn't ever quite have that like landing chord one feeling. And then it was like starting to give off the right emotion. But weirdly, it was kind of like everything, all of the other choices were all kind of fine because like the pulsing rhythm of the bass, the drum thing, the structure of it. So it's quite rare that, version i've had very few songs where that is the journey of it but i'm really really happy that we got it right because yeah I, I feel like it encompasses the feeling i was wanting it to now which feels a bit more like frenetic and like like it should feel like the claustrophobia of what she's talking about as the harmony like builds up and like surrounds your head yeah yeah <laughs> and and to capture or match the emotional fragility of of what she's saying mm. because the interesting thing about using found speech is what you want to do with it what you're trying to achieve so yeah. a key phrase i am the party yeah. you know could be used in quite a different way and clearly from what you were saying earlier you don't want to be insensitive you want to yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah you want to be able to respond to the impact that her speech has given you, you yeah know, and, and that's very emotional and no, it's very totally. charged you know it's a very tricky thing to do yeah no 100 percent. like i think like grabbing the, like here, you can see the different phrases of her. I am a party. And then obviously from earlier in the speech, she says inside of my head, inside of my head. Inside of my head. I quite love, I think this is like anyone who loves sampling loves, takes real pleasure from recontextualizing the thing. So that isn't obviously a taller sentence she said. Like she says inside my head, inside my home earlier about something else. But, you know, I think it's the same reason why we love it when Dilla takes a sample and makes it sound like they're saying a lyric they're not saying from some folk record and yeah. then it becomes a slum village banger. So yeah, big up Sabrina, big up Sabrina. So, I mean, Sabrina, is she a poet then? Is that what Yeah, she she's does? a writer, I think, mainly and a poet. And right. She does a bunch of different things. I've never met her in real life because mm. she's in Minneapolis, I think, or America, definitely. Right. But yeah, there's, there's a pint to be had for sure. And we've spoken about it, it will happen. Yeah, fantastic. So you've got this speech. You've already started playing with it. You're already kind of now bringing it into your own world and your sound world and also your mind, really, yeah. you know, in terms of understanding it. So you start feeling out, you know, what you want to do. Yeah. You know, um, are you able to illustrate that? Um, yeah, so it would be like, I mean, I'd have chopped her to the click because, as I said, in this one, sometimes you have to really, like, force things into a pulse and push them into a place they might not be, but it was very clear with her and so then I would just grab some like simple sound like a verbed piano and just play along on my laptop keyboard which is what I'm doing now so like she's obviously in flat and just playing chords inside of my head inside of my house but like trying to find what feels like the right, because obviously hitting that E flat is falling into the same trap of the version I was talking about before. So I think you quite quickly realise that like that is your home thing, obviously. I am a party inside of my head. It's kind of 
feeling right. And then this chord Inside of my house. has the hurt to me. That the minor yeah. three like gives it like, ah, oh, okay, this is now in the right sphere. So I would just do that with a drone. Usually I just drag in drones and let it just sit in this very slow world of like just trying to get the like harmonic emotion of it right. And then once that's right, you can kind of decide if it's going to become this drum beat or that drum beat or no drum beat or mm. whatever. And yeah. do, would you record all of that as you're doing it? All the sketches, all the fiddling oh, around? Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Be, so like I would have left that day with just a like emotional paint throwing, I guess, <laughs> like just trying to find the sphere in which she's like, it feels like you're honoring her, but it's becoming something slightly new. And then, I'd, I mean, this version would have a million different bounces, but they would just sound like a drone with what I just played, to be honest, going for probably like 10 minutes. And then I'll just listen to it on my phone, which is my favorite speaker in the world i love listening to songs on my phone more than anything else um, with headphones or, or no no yeah. just on the phone speaker the fo- it is right. my favorite i cannot tell you how much i love it because you hear like all of the i think for producers particularly like it's so prone and i was like so i think raised into a school of thought of like you've got to have your ns10s and you've got to know your speakers really well and you've got to have all of this and this to me slightly mix emphasized version of production which is not 99% of what is most important is the writing and the creativity. And so when you listen to your bounce back on your phone, you're effortlessly pushed into a place where you cannot be worrying about if your kick is hitting right at 70 hertz. It doesn't even cross your mind to care about that. So you're alleviated to thinking about like, is the chorus twice as long as it should be? Or like, is this the right feeling? Because there's no risk of you becoming the guy who's like, just zoomed right in next to a speaker trying to get the exact attack threshold right. Like, who cares if your chorus is the wrong chorus? It doesn't matter anything like as much as if you've got the wrong snare drum. Yeah. And I say this as someone who spent years and years and hours and hours, like, I think, focusing on the wrong thing. So I love, basically, every day I'm just trying to, like, set myself up. So I've got, a you know, email from myself to myself on my phone with, like, five sketches that I can listen outside the pub with a whole bunch of noise going on and you just immediately hear it with such clarity of like, oh, this makes me feel like this, this should be that, oh, that is the wrong lyric for that. And you just hear the bigger, the truly important stuff like that really matters, that makes the song. So yeah, that will be, sorry, that was a long way of saying I'll just get a long bounce of the emotion of it and then I'll just listen to it on my phone. No, but it's, well, it, you explain it really well. And, and it's interesting to take that approach with working with other people as well. So, you know, you might have a day in a studio with Stormzy or something and I walk away with a, a track and always, and always. I think of it as like doing my future self like a real solid because like my favourite thing in the world is to leave a pub go out for a ciggy and just put my phone up to my ear and just hear like what the day sounded like and you just hear the important stuff like it's cool when you're in the studio to go in this mode and care a bit about that and focus in on making your bass hits a bit but it doesn't matter that much it's just an execution version of the feeling like there's a million great songs that we all love that have technically rubbish mixes or maybe that if you'd spent 10,000 more hours on it you'd have changed that kick sample like who cares it's an incredible song and the emotion of it speaks louder so yeah I just am always just trying to set myself up to have ideas to listen to on my phone that I'll hear like purely because then you make big clarity moves like okay right that's the wrong verse of this this chord needs to be there and then you move like 50% forward as opposed to as I say, like just honing your kick sample for yeah. a day. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So you were able to do that fairly quickly for this song in terms of getting those chords right to match the emotion? Kind or- of. I mean, I got it close, but that led me 
the version I made not long after would have been that one I played you that hits mm. on the one chord and stuff like that. So I got it close, but I don't think quite right. It was more the like other production choices were more actually proven to me to be right of like the pulse and the clave hit and the dotted bass line and all of that. But yeah, so no, it was a slow hone to then. It was a few months after I then switched the harmony to try and serve what she was saying better. Right. And so in terms of getting all those other bits right, was that a long or a slow process or was that quite... In this one, I think that was very instinctive. Mm. Sometimes it's so long. I mean, there's another song we'll talk about today that was unbelievably long. But in this one, that was my instinct. I set the rough bones of it was probably second time I sat down with it. Right. And is that the same process that you, you kind of start playing what you have mm. and respond to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to work really, really quickly. So I, I, I'll sooner have loads and loads of versions of different interpretations of the song rather than spend hours and hours on like trying to hone one version. If I'm like fighting it, I'll sooner just spend like three hours, make a whole, scrap everything, throw another instinct at it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, there's only so many shots you can get at that until you're kidding yourself. But But yeah. And as we heard from the master, I mean, there's... There are different stages through the song you know, mm. that that um, more things come in, you know, to take us on this this little journey that For you sure. take us on. Are you able to illustrate some of that? Yeah. So, like, yeah. I don't feel like someone that you know. Oh yeah. So I mean, this is so the vocal, your vocal. Yeah. Another yeah. crucial aspect of this whole album. Yeah. Is that you, you know you had these bits of speech or whatever they were, sometimes other artists singing, mm. but then you respond to it as a singer. Yeah. So I think, I mean, this one came quite naturally because it, you know, Octave Dan and I wanted to say a version of what she was saying, but with slightly different words. So I find myself doing that quite a lot in like the, sort of what would be the verse two. I mean, it's not quite like that as this song, but in the verse twos, I often find myself wanting to say like a version of what the sample's saying, but trying to put my spin on it yeah I mean it is just that really I am party. Oh, this is the end of the verse yeah and then there's just loads of, of warping her there which is on an iPad app called Sampler and you can just play these samples like instruments like you can drag your finger across the audio file and like do this so I don't wanna go that mad like that yeah so that's quite a tactile thing in a way even though it's on an ipad but yeah 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 no that's what i love about it It was jack um parisi who i work with on all of my stuff and marco parisi the brothers and he is like a wizard at this thing and we use it a lot playing live because it's the one thing i found that you can feel like you're playing the sample like everything else i do is very manual like pitching and warping them it takes a long time and but this thing it just shows you the audio file and you can like, by moving your finger across it in different ways, you can create like this effect and, you know, the other things like it. So I don't wanna go. What program is this? It's called Sampler, right. S-A-M-P-L-R without an E. But yeah, it's really expressive is the key thing, I think. So you can, yeah, just express, but through the medium of Sabrina in this case. So yeah, that was definitely a thing that brought this end bit to life for sure and then it's just like a whole bunch of noises that were going on around me so that siren is made out of a siren that was going on I was on South Bank and there was something 
choo, choo, those sounds. So that would just be recording on my phone. Basically, like, I'd say like 75% of all the sounds in every song I make will be recorded on my phone. I'll get like kick drums, not from my phone, but most drums I'll make from just like almost everything. Most of my vocals is recorded on the phone. So potentially at the South Bank, you'll just sing into your phone. Yeah, I will sometimes. <laughs> so just using the mic on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think I found this thing that I actually prefer of singing really quietly because <laughs> I don't love my voice very much, but sometimes I do like want to say a thing. But when I say it really quietly, I don't hate it as much. And when there's like the noise of the world in the background, it doesn't feel as like just disgusting as like just this like posh, like dry vote. Oh, it's not my voice. Like I'm hearing it now. If I was to start singing, I would leave. <laughs> but if it was in an iPhone, you can hear like traffic in the background and like a bit of a natural reverb of a room or whatever. Like I'm immediately to me like allured to it because it just feels like the world. It doesn't feel like this dry sterile thing so yeah I have had <laughs> it was a moment there was an art gallery I used to work in a lot because they'd always let me charge my laptop in the like cafe and I got to the point where I got so comfy there like I'd walk in and they'd be like oh hi and they'd give me the power extension and it was great and then I got to the point where I'd come in with like my drum machine my OP1 I had my interface a little SM7 <laughs> and then they'd be like grannies having like ham terrine <laughs> next to me and like scones and then like lovely bit of art and then I was like okay right this is getting too far now but yeah so it was it's always generally that kind of way yeah amazing and um, would you use the just the mic on a laptop then as well just as much as your I phone? don't love it as much yeah, as the phone yeah. mic because I don't the phone know why was, it's presumably quite close I mean I'm picturing you now outside the yeah. South Bank or on the South Bank and you know if somebody were to walk by it could look as if you're having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you're totally. And you, I don't quite know why it is, but the laptop might, I think probably because it's better, but it doesn't sound as, and there's inbuilt compression into the iPhone voice memos that is beautiful. Like, I am obsessed with that. Like, even for songs I make for other people, I'll record most stuff on, I mean, me and <laughs> Johnny McDade, who's this wonderful man, other producer, good friend of mine, he has this joke that he always says where he, we kind of often find ourselves talking about where it's just like the sentence, it doesn't matter what you put in. Because increasingly, like, a lot of my producer friends, and I think I'm like this, like, it doesn't really matter what you put in. It more is like what you do with that random bit of sound and all the stuff we can do in these things. Like, it's amazing the extent to which... And sometimes Johnny will, like, fuck with me and he'll just, like, make a ridiculous sound in a recording and be like, go on, do something with that now. And usually, because you're just, like, forced into this, like, all right, what could we make out of Johnny going, like, or whatever, you just do make something that you wouldn't have thought of and is interesting as opposed to, like, you know, just putting a SM58 next to a snare and hitting it and being like, that's our snare drum. Like, I find it much more inspiring, this being, like... And often you'll get back on the phone and it will have loads of, like, glitches and sounds you didn't want that are actually great and I love the sound of it I really love the sound yeah. it's my favourite mic and my favourite speaker <laughs> <laughs> amazing and yet do you think you're quite attached to the software and the processing that you can yeah. then yeah, yeah, apply yeah. to oh, it, I, I love without most... those bits yeah yeah no I mean I still if I record a drum kit off of this the sound it sounds like coming in I love but I definitely it needs to be the two in tandem for most of what I do mm. because I'll just like scream ridiculous noises in or like that siren like they're all from just a recording of the street I was on but obviously to make that sound like that you've got to do like mad rash like distortion and effects and all sorts of things that make it kind of poke out and pitching it around and so on so yeah, yeah. and do you do all of that really quickly 
Or, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. I, I'm obsessed with speed. The benchmark to me should be like how someone sitting with a guitar back in the day could just, or still now, <laughs> could get out their song. Like they're just there. They know they've got kind of a few chords to work with and they can just push it out really effortlessly, it can, which means that it can come so from within them. Or even to classical musicians, like, you know, most of the greats essentially, I think, would write built from the piano like, and they mm. could orchestrate from there. And there's so few things in between what is in them and it coming out. I guess then there was a bit more because they had to score. That would probably be their equivalent of us having to use logic. But so I'm really keen to try and find as many things I can do to like minimize the distance in like time and stuff that has to happen between what's in there and getting it out. And so I think practicing quick working methods is like the main thing there. Right. That was going to be my next question. So like a a musician masters their instrument through endless hours Mm. of practice, you know, you make sure that you're on top of whatever little gadgetries you're going to use yeah. in the box. And just using it like a a toy. Like, again, I, I really do say this as someone who spent hours and hours and years and years doing this a different way. But I think using it from a place of play and instinct. So you're just like, you know, when I was like a teenager, a lot of the people who I'd be like following from YouTube, whatever, would say, yeah, so, you know, you'd need to use a compressor like this. And with an EQ, you don't want to be making moves bigger than like kind of 60 dB because you'll start to hear the sound. You should be thinking about your mic placement. And and so I was like, okay, right, really trying to take this in. But I actually, personally, I found none of that to be true. Like I'd much rather move unbelievably quickly and rashly. And if I've got a 25 dB spike at 2K and that's what sounded right, then go, go, go. And who cares? It's I'm sampling off YouTube half the time anyway. So it's not like I'm in the business of <laughs> like audio purity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I... Um, I think, yeah, just trying to draw from instinct as opposed to learned practices. And then I think often you just make stuff that you're like, wow, how did that come about when you're listening to it later that day? Yeah. Don't even remember really what you did because it was just sort of coming out. Amazing. And it's it's great because you're going from a place of impurity, but because of your abilities with all the bits of kit that you've got, you can kind of turn that to your advantage, you know, and Mm. and turn that into a, a strength or a tone or a, a colour that you can then use and, and make totally. wonders out of, really. Yeah, no, I feel so... That's I mean, that's why I say, like, I, <laughs> one of the reasons why I work outside loads is because I just can't believe I can. <laughs> it will never be lost on me that we can just, like, sit wherever you want and for two and a half hours probably you've got, like, just a million infinite possibilities of, like, too much. The main problem with Logic is there's too much, but one thing that's nice about that is at least you're not then also got all the other stuff of the studio. At least you got this one little thing. Like I do lots of things in Logic to minimize. I disable most of my plugins and stuff like that. So it's very just like this, 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 and this. But just the fact that you can just do anything, I just think it's incredible. <laughs> and, and when you're working on it, are you wearing headphones or are you then using Yeah, iPod those? headphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always iPod headphones. I love them. Right. Wow. And so in, next time we see you somewhere on a random street or outside a cafe or yeah. you, know, you could be creating the next classic. Love, I um, have had this a few times because I work near my gaff on the river quite a lot and sometimes people come past and go, you're right for it and I'm like, safe. But yeah, I love it. Fantastic. So, I mean, what was the next stage with Sabrina with this track? Um, I think the next stage would have been, yeah, once we'd sorted out the harmony of it, then there would be a brief technical moment where I would do what I would implore everyone not to do until this point 
once everything is fine, then I'll go through a little moment of checking like 20 different kick samples to make sure it's knocking as much as it could. And it's a very technical and like black and white job, if you know what I mean. But the key thing to me is to not do that job until your song is done. Because always you drain your perspective and your the clarity of your ear worrying about that, which you can do with just as much clarity right at the end. At the master, you can switch out 20 kick samples and hear them and be like, oh, that's the best one, great. Mm. So me and Jack, uh, the aforementioned Parisi, will do like a whole bunch of those and we might try a few different AO8s or a few different palettes for the pedal note, switch out a couple hi-hat, generally drum stuff often just to make sure it hits right. And yeah, I mean, that makes it sound quicker than it was but yeah. it was long <laughs> yeah. was I mean how long is that process when you're going through all these different kick drums and- uh, we'll do a few songs in a day and then hear them with um, freshers the next day and usually it's quite clear mm. particularly when there's two of you to bounce back not long it doesn't need to be long because it's a technical thing it's like you can just hear it if you just set up a channel that has in this case the Body. Kick. I mean, that's the original version, so the kick would be this. That's from a break layered with that much more like mm. heavy thing. And so we'd have just like put a bunch into a battery pack and just played them all through, and you quite quickly just hear what is. I'm not really too fussed as to why, because it doesn't really matter. Um, so yeah, we'll do that for a, a day or so. And usually by then, I mean, I all of my songs I mixed with Jay Reynolds who shouts out Jay absolutely love Jay but I think Jay would also say like I generally am quite close to it needs to sound done and Mm. then Jay can add a percent I can't hear but I don't I've made the mistake before of like trying to expect the mix is going to like fix it all and all of the things is going to and your chorus is going to sound 10 times better because it's mixed and it's not how it ever works so yeah I, I, I definitely think you want your song to sound done and then send it to mix yeah fascinating um, would you be able to build us up through the parts to the completion of the song as we move through it, just quickly? For sure. So, yeah, look how unchallenged this project looks. This is just the mixed stems, which carries none of the trauma of what it took to get there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always find it almost conflicting looking at this because I'm like, wait, I went through so much. How can it look so... <laughs> just like these stems. But yeah, so it would be like... So yeah, that drone. I can't tell you how much of a difference that makes switching because I always play over drones and different pieces of ambient pieces I've made, and having the drone on that note, which is a G, as opposed to being on the B flat and the E flat, like the whole emotional palette of the song, it sets you up for such a different world. I mean that, for example, that sound there. <laughs> that's turning on the iPhone mic. You know when you like scratch it? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what that is. I love those sounds. Like sometimes I'll build whole drum beats out of them. Like they're so upfront and beautiful. I am a body. And then this 808 with a square wave from Retro Synth in Logic. Inside of my house. It would have had a bunch of plugins on it, but I can't see them now. (laughs) Yeah. This Rash guy was inspired by Fade by Kanye, obviously. 
I love making like impact sounds that aren't crashes, so, like the siren being it here, like that thing. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's that you, it, we show our whole hand there already, like it's not a song that's adding parts throughout the whole thing. The parts are slightly tweaking and evolving, but that's kind of everything. And then, you know, by the last one, you just have a bit more like held pads. And the main thing is tweaking her to the. I love the looping of like the fun, like. like but I don't want to have fun. It's not having fun when you don't want to have fun, and then having like fun, fun, yeah. fun, fun. Yeah. <laughs> But yet, at the same time, what you achieve by the end is that, you know, her desperation mm. and acknowledgement of her own desperation yeah. still ends up being positive through your treatment, I think. Mm -hmm. In the same way that it has been positive for her to be able to express that, mm. not only to her mother, but to the world and the room yeah, that yeah, she was yeah, speaking yeah, to yeah. that time was a positive step for her. Or one assumes it was, because yeah, otherwise, totally. you know, why would she do it? Mm. But if you listen to the song as a whole and go through the whole thing, you come out in a different place, I think. Sick. I mean, I, I've been amazed for me for this record. Like, a lot of people hear the songs really differently in a way that I love. Um, mm. I hear this song, to me, it feels tragic, but there's a million right ways of hearing mm. it, I think. So, yeah. No, I'm I think not maybe maybe it depends where we're at at that moment in yeah. time. <laughs> I think so. I think that might be it, hopefully. Excellent. Well, um, let's reprise the master and we'll be able to move on to another one of the songs from the album. Reprise the master. sounds where yeah local. yeah so that would have been i think that's from berlin I, th I went out there a couple times when i was trying to work out hone the sound of what i was trying to do and would just do like these solitary writing trips on my ones and it was i loved it like just going going like wherever i wanted with my laptop in the day like what i do in london but just in a new city and then just going clubbing at night but kind of very much on my, like I'd still get mashup, but like it's a different type of mashup when you're on your ones. Like I would just be like downing beers and like having, cause you can smoke inside there as well. So my God, the amount of cigarettes I must've smoked, but you don't get the same type of mashup when you're on your own. You can't, like, it's just a much more like calm, solitary, like I'm just at the bar. Like, I'll go have a dance in a very kind of like that German way where you're just kind of in your own circle. It's not a collaborative thing. <laughs> Dancing there, I don't think. It's very much a one individual thing. Like there's, you know that place, Bergheim, 
Um, I do, but I've never been. But um, yeah, it's great. I would go there. I mean, that would always be where I'd like end up on the weekend because it's obviously open late night. Mm. And yeah, going in there. That's actually like, a lot of the drum palette of what I'm trying to do is inspired by the drums in there. But I found myself wanting to like put more harmony on it than I was getting in those things. Like I love those tunes and like Bring by Randomer, which is like the Burkheim classic is to me one of the best tunes ever. But for my stuff personally, like I was like, okay, this drum sonic of like absolute sternness of it, I find really beautiful. But then I was in like, <laughs> I was saying this to my friend the other day, like I was in... Berghain and you can't bring your phones in or you can but they they tape over the camera it's very much meant to be like if you'd have your phone out it's bad vibes like no one would like that mm. but like I was, I was looking over the main room bit they've got this kind of balcony where I was just having a ciggy and looking over and they're playing this like <laughs> that type of technique where you feel like you can never quite catch the head bob it's just like 170 <laughs> bpm or some shit and it's just unbelievably like it weirdly is to me the closest cousin to ambient music, despite being the opposite. The role it plays, I think, is super ambient. It's just a very different interpretation of it. Because it's not like the like arc of the songs in there, like in the true main Roomba kind of stuff. Like it's not like an arc of any song I've made. Like it's not trying to build up showing you clear like this is now we're feeling like we're building up to this and now this is that. Like every now and then you'll get like the bass will cut out and then the bass will come back in. But like, <laughs> it's just this, it's ambient. It's totally ambient. It just happens to be 160 BPM throbbing kick drums. And so I find myself like getting out my phone and like playing chords into my ears <laughs> so I could get like, because after like four hours, I'm just like, give me a little bit of harmony, just a little bit. So I'd like just play like what I was wanting to hear into my ear. <laughs> and then like people would look at me and I was like, oh, sorry, no, it's not. I'm not trying to film anyone. I swear. Like I'm just, yeah. want, I just want to hear like a little drone over this <laughs> or something. Wow. And then putting it back in my pocket. But yes, yeah, so I think that noise is the outside of there in the morning. Right. Or in the main, it's in the foyer. That's it. The foyer of Bergheim, which is a, an absolute safari <laughs> of a place. <laughs> um but yeah, real chaotic energies at the end of like the Sunday night. Fantastic. And you, you're going out on your own. So, I mean, you're talking to other people, engaging with other people, but not necessarily looking for that. Just Yeah, like it happens and you have nice fleeting mm. moments. And also, like the nature of being in somewhere like Bergheim, you get hit on a lot. If you're like a straight guy, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, like, I think being a straight guy in Bergheim is like being a girl in the rest of the world. It's a, just an inversion of how it goes. You just walk around and people come up to you and go like, and they have this kind of sense of like, you've signed up for this, right? Like, <laughs> and fair play to them. Like you're in their space. Like it's totally calm. But then obviously I get to leave Bergheim and live my life normally. But I think that might be what it's kind of like the rest of the world being a woman. So yeah, like you have that kind of stuff and lovely chats with, there was one moment where I was, <laughs> I was waiting in the cubicle to have a piss on like, Again, this would have been the Sunday night. So by that point, it's been open for 70 hours or whatever. And there is like a weight in the air that has built up. Like you walk in, it's just, <laughs> you're, it feels like you're in like heavier gravity or something. <laughs> and I was waiting for a piss in the cubicle at like 6 a.m. on Monday morning, I guess it would have been. And 
eventually the door opened and I get in and like four other people like all get in with me and they're all looking at me like oh safe is he joining us and I was like oh lads I'm so sorry <laughs> absolutely do your thing don't let me get in the way but they all look at it it was this very sweet like the like four lads all just piled in and they were all like oh is he joining and I was like no nah, no nah, you're good you're good I apologise have a lovely time <laughs> I was suddenly just in this really enclosed space just like wow so yeah it's a good hang it's a good hang <laughs> amazing um we're going to move on to another song, um, but we'll so, take a quick break and then we'll be looking at me heavy in marked contrast. Yeah, Sabrina. for sure, for sure. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. This episode is supported by Museversal, an amazing new service for working with session musicians remotely. If you use session musicians or would like to, but it's been too expensive or hard to organise, this is for you. And we have a special offer for any Tape Notes listeners, 25% off for the first three months, and you get to skip the wait list. But more on that in a moment. I've got David from Museversal here to tell us all about it. Hello, David. What is Museversal? Hey, John, thank you so much for having us on here. Appreciate it a ton. Museversal is an online remote recording studio for artists, producers, composers, anyone who's a music creator to work with session musicians remotely. In a couple of clicks, you can go on and you can book a session with a drummer or a guitar player, a piano player, you name it, they're on the platform. And so the way that it works is all of the sessions are hosted over live stream. So all of the, you know, revisions and feedback and all of the different little, you know, hey, um, would you mind, you know, moving to the ride symbol for the fourth bar? Or would you mind, you know, finger plucking instead of using a pick? You know, all of those types of creative choices can happen quite literally as if the musician is in the room just done over live stream. Yeah. 
It sounds amazing. And in a way, the clue is in the name, Museversal. It means that whether you're a beginner or whether you're somebody with a lot of experience, you can still get access to the same kind of level of musicianship and creativity. Yeah, it's amazing because it allows the music to have expression on it and musicianship that, you know, if I'm sitting in my basement playing piano versus a piano player that's played for, you know, Jay-Z or has been playing for 25 plus years, the material that comes out of that is going to sound night and day. What does it cost? So the service is $200 a month US and included in that is all of the sessions. So there's no additional fees or anything. You know, you get to book as many sessions as you can have per month. To put it in perspective, the average user probably books about five to seven sessions per month. But we actually have some users booking 10, 12, 15 sessions per month. So, I mean, you can do the math on 200. The, the deal really is awesome. And it, it allows people to work with incredible musicians and, and, you know, not break the bank. It sounds great. Can you remind us what the offer is for Take Notes listeners? Well, look, we're so thankful um, that you guys are having us on here. What we would love to do is offer 25% off per month for their first three months. And then the other cool part is they get to skip our wait list. So, you know, we usually run a wait list. It's about two weeks long. But in this case, you know, finding us through this episode, you could have a session as early as tomorrow. Fantastic. And to get the offer, all you have to do is find the link in any of our recent episode show notes. David, thank you so much for speaking to us. And maybe one day we'll be talking about a piece of music that's been created using Musiversal. That would be incredible. We cannot wait for that day. So the next Fred Again song we're going to look at is Me Heavy from Actual Life. But before that, Fred, I wanted to find out a bit more about you. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting, you were talking about Bergheim and talking about how that intense nonstop rhythm was actually quite close to ambient. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know that you've got a long association with, with somebody who we associate with ambient music, Mr. Yeah. Brian Eno. And I was intrigued to know how you started to work with Brian and also what your musical background was before that, because clearly from what you're telling us about your music, mm. it's based in you know, the understanding of music theory and, and being able to play. A bit, yeah. I think, I mean, I was a classical person when I was younger, for sure. Like that was my upbringing. And I went to like a classical music college, but I definitely am not in the level. Like when I was there, it was immediately obvious to me, like, oh, I, these guys are different breeds to me. But I, I obviously, yeah, do have like theory and stuff like that down. But yeah, and Brian, I met when I was 16, I think. I, yeah, I've been very, very lucky to have him as a mentor for 10 years now or so. And yeah, he has like a singing group that happens every Tuesday when it will be like his neighbours and, you know, his neighbour who's like a masseuse and then like Annie Lennox, who's Annie Lennox and crazy hodgepodge of beautiful people as you'd imagine from Brian and one of our friends was his neighbor. So I went along to that and yeah, we just quite quickly started like working together. Like I would just, every time he'd like give me like a thing to work on or something to try or a thought, I would like spend the whole of the next week just going absolutely ham on it. Like, you know, 23 hours a day, just making a million sketches so I could come back the next Tuesday and be like, hey, <laughs> got a couple of things here and look, try and make it look all casual, but I've been going crazy. <laughs> and to the point where Brian still messaged me to this day because there's, there's thousands of my sketches on his computer and he always leaves his computer on on shuffle whilst he's just pottering around doing his thing. And so he'll I, I'll regularly get texts from him being like, hey, Fred, uh, you know, 
Thursday evening sketch three sounding brilliant from 2014 or whatever it would be. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, great, thanks, right? Um, Amazing. So let's just go through that again. So you ended up in a choir, a kind of ad hoc choir yeah. with Brian Eno. And mm. is Brian like the choir master? He's choir master, yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, nicely put. And what pieces are you singing? It's like gospel and country songs. Right. Um, for performance or just for... For like, it's a very powerful thing, singing in groups, I think. Like if you go when you're at church for Christmas and mm. we all hear the descant of O Come Are You Faithful Ever, that's like 30 seconds and that makes all of us feel quite a bit different by the end of the song, let alone two and a half hours of like beautiful country and soul and gospel songs in a tight-knit room with like harmony and... Like Brian does it as like a form of yoga, and I think it is exactly that for the mind, and I think probably body too. Yeah. And um, how many people would be in the choir then? Anything from like small group of like seven to like twenty something on right. on a big day. So you were welcomed as a new boy. I was welcomed as like intern because I'd right. like tidy up the like I'd organise the sheets with all of the songs on and stuff. I mean, it makes it sound like a more formal thing than it was. And I was also slightly musical theory guy. So I was weirdly, despite what you think, I mean, there's amazing musicians there, but they're less in theory world. Like Brian isn't, he'd be the first to say, not mm. at all a theory type of trained musician. So I, my one USP was that I could like remember the key of the songs and like I could tell Brian what the BPM we were singing at was so he could write on the thing. So I was like, Phew. I've got my thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, so you were 16, you were pre-GCSE or you'd just taken... Was, yeah, I was diving right into my GCSE. <laughs> right, lovely little, right. I'm not with the same verve that I was going into the Brian demos yeah. cupboard. Yeah. But <laughs> and so what, at the end of a session, he'd casually say, you know what, you know, he'd give you an idea. Yeah, like we'd, and it just kind of became more and more until he was like helping me with the projects I was working on then. And then I produced an album with him and Carl Hyde and... And I'd written like a, I mean, it's a ridiculous sort of, it's almost pretentious this, but like I had written this thing called, a, I called it an electronic symphony. Yeah, when I was about 16. And because basically someone told me, I was like, what's a symphony to one of my teachers? And they were like, it's actually just a piece with a large range of like textures and timbres. And I was like, is that it? I was like, so I can have one. Great. <laughs> I'm going to get myself a symphony. That's inc I thought there'd be way more like, you know, I thought you'd have to like pass a PhD and stuff like that to get one. So I was like, incredible. I'm going to write myself a symphony just because it sounded cool. And so I did. In fact, that was maybe it was. A, yeah. So I, I did that. And then I think it was off the back of him watching that, that we started working together more after the singing sessions, because I gave that to him one time. Right. Because we recorded And then it. that led to working with yeah. Carl Hyde and, and yeah Brian. like he then brought Carl in but like I mean the, yeah the symphony was a whole ridiculous diving in at the deep end because being at school I took it for granted then but I could put it was like a 50 piece orchestra with like a whole band and I could just do that just ask my friends in the orchestra if they right. play my piece and like that's insane now if I was to put that on but we did a whole like hour long piece with like rappers and like singers and a band and a 50 piece orchestra and it was kind of I mean it took like hours and hours of work and the fact that you can just do that is incredible to me. Yeah, but because you were at school, and but you were at a music college then. I wasn't at a music college, but I was at a school that had an orchestra. Yeah, right. A good okay. Orchestra, yeah. Yeah. So I was super lucky to be there. Yeah. Amazing. But then, how do you go from working with Brian Eno and Carl Hyde, and entertaining ideas of writing your own symphonies, <laughs> um, to to then 
going and ending up working with Stormzy or, or Ed Sheeran or um, somebody else? I know what you mean. It is a very different. It's amazing how much Brian exists outside of or on top of the music industry. Like he's not in it. Mm. He does his own thing and beautifully so. We wouldn't change it. That's been the case since day, I think. But yeah, it was interesting to me at the time how much that did not was not a thing that would lead to that. Like working with Brian is one of the most beautiful and invaluable things I've ever done and still do. But on a sort of how it led to meeting them, that was more happened because I was making a lot of songs with, I had like three different projects with friends of mine at that time, like different singers and rappers and stuff I'd met. And off the back of the symphony thing we did, we spoke to some labels. So we had, we knew a few people who we could like send stuff to and we'd send them the songs we're doing. So we had a kind of vague dialogue with a few people and then I started making more music in that vein and basically my brother and I, my brother who manages me and is incredible, we just went absolutely in and just did like sessions with everyone we could possibly find to do a session with and went crazy for like four years or so and just tried to climb the ladder of like pop and hip-hop music. So just kind of out of kind of interest, you kind of listened to everything, got excited about different artists and then knocked on their door and said, yeah, do you want to make a track? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think from when I was at school, hip-hop was the main genre I was making. Like at school and at college, I was definitely like the classical person who was doing hip-hop, which was fun because it meant that I was, for the one time in my life, I was like the punk, <laughs> which I've never been before or since, but um, for a beautiful moment there. So that was definitely the music I felt most versed in, that and classical. Um, I mean, shouts out to my brother as well because he's got an incredible ear, so he would often find artists who would then since blow up, but he would find them on their first video and get them along for a session. So like everyone from Jay Huss, uh, apart from J5, who is his partner, obviously, I was the first person Huss worked with, and then Steph London, the same, even through to like Jose from Owanda, like Storms to a degree, like it was early days when mm. we first worked with Storms and like a, a bunch of people. So like, yeah, having him around is a real blessing because he can, he's got a real ear to the ground on stuff. Yeah, amazing. Is he older than you? Yeah, he's yeah. two years older. Yeah, and he would make some of those initial calls or yeah um, I mean he, was, he would just since we were kids he would just be playing me like chasing pavements like the day it came out being like mm. this is crazy listen to this and then that happened for 10 years yeah of him just playing me tunes and I was like oh this guy keeps on telling me songs and then they become and everyone else knows the songs what's going on yeah. here how does he know the songs before everyone else knows them? <laughs> and then you just clock it's just someone who has a really good ear and is like passionately following everything yeah Amazing. And um, what were his sources? Um, you know, where would he turn to to blogs. find his people? Right. Blogs. I think we were, there was a beautiful little kind of two years, I think, where the blog was just everything from like... Because also when I was 16, that was when dubstep was happening in England. I mean, that was the blog central genre, mm. I think, as well. But that was an incredible, incredible moment. Like, I know it's, there's... I feel like the dubstep, is, even as a word, is like mud in like trauma now because <laughs> we've seen it like different parts of the culture become but it was actually the most exciting thing because there was this phase for like a year and a half where every song that came out was the best thing I'd ever heard <laughs> and it was just like constantly blowing my mind and what, what kind sound. of things well I remember for example like a friend in school playing on his phone the scream remix of in for the kill and all of us were there were like what is happening 
but it was so alive like it was happening you could feel them coming out each week like the excision mix that had the bass nectar version of like my dubstep knowledge can actually go deep <laughs> i went in and that's kind of how i learned to like technically produce i think like i was definitely making loads of hip-hop and writing songs but to make that type of music you had to grapple with a bit more technicality so like following like there's a video of rusco in his attic like breaking down how to make a synth on albino and i was just like that was my, my bible like rusco on his like ninth siggy at 11 a.m just breaking down an lfo like that was everything to me <laughs> so yeah I, I um and so then were you trying to how can i get this equipment how do i how do i make yeah. these sounds because yeah. it was just like I mean, I made some awful, awful things, but it was so fun. And you felt it become, you know, from Midnight Request Line Scream or whatever is like what a lot of people would say is one of the founding things through to Rusko, Woo Rhythm, through to like excision and bass nectar pushing it into like more like noise core territory or whatever, you, not noise core, but more like gnarly. And then obviously when Skrillex came about, Skrillex, who is a good friend and a genius, as we all know. But obviously the problem there is that people called it the same name. Like, it should have just been called something else. Yeah. It's when people get protective over there, like, this is my dubstep. Why are people calling that my dubstep? Like, that's not it. And so people start hating for no reason. Because obviously, like, I mean, obviously time has shown that Skrillex is a genius. In fact, I was with him the other day and we were going through this and I was finding out, like, I was clocking in myself, like, wow, my knowledge on this goes... <laughs> <laughs> I was pulling out deep cuts of like tunes that are like only released in like the Nero Essential mix and stuff like that. And I was like, look at this guy going bar for bar with Skrillex on dubstep knowledge. <laughs> so yeah, shouts out all of those legends. They inspire me infinitely, yeah. Fantastic. What an amazing combination of roots into making music and, and into making pop music in, mm. a, in a way, which is really quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So you know, you've got all these different things going on in your life at that point and in your world but taking you then onto a a journey that has allowed you to become an artist yeah but also to work with some of the biggest artists of our time no yeah amazing what Thank a combination you, appreciate it and talking of you as an artist now Fred, <laughs> um, we're going to look at another one of the songs from actual life um, which is me heavy so maybe we should hear the mastered version before we get yes, any further There's a great performance of you performing that song that you put up on Instagram. And now, since I've seen that, I can't shake off that that wasn't how you made the song because it, in my mind, it seems to capture a moment of of you just pouring your heart out. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but, you know, it's really powerful in that way. But what really happened, Fred? I mean, not far from that. Like, I mean, the, the music was made... Um, like, I didn't think I was going to write that song on it when we made the music which so I mean I'll show you this sound I did a the sketch is called Sunday Morph Day with my mate Big Ken who I live with who's also Joy Anonymous and a great producer and we do these kind of like 
throw paint at the wall production days often on the weekend where you just kind of like just throw ideas and there's no intention like the most you know we're talking about like being play like trying to push that to its most extreme of just absolutely playing with sound and seeing how you can push it and bend it and so this was came out of taking this sound that's a sample that's how it sounds without the plugin on it and that we like kind of just grabbed random chords from all over it and then this plugin called morph that i adore so we then sent that through morph you can like combine it with another sound so that's being sent to this as a trigger this random groove but so if you blend the two it becomes with morph on If I dial the morph out, and that's it off, and then, do you know what I mean? It kind of, yeah. it morphs them, it does what it says on the tin. And yeah, and that just made this like sonic palette that was really like sort of enchanting to me. Um, and then we left it, and that was just one of the five things we did that day, and then came back to it. And, you know, a week later, like, how does the Saturday Morph Day sound like? And Hen and I then wrote that song over it, which was, I think we left it for longer than that, actually. It would have just been sitting around for a while because then it wasn't until two thirds of the way through the record that, you know, everything that was going on with what the record is about became so dire that, like, the that was what got written over it, if you see what I mean. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, in effect, for... For this song, that became your drone piece, your starting point. Yeah, you just kind of totally. That was just the, fill the canvas with color in a way, and and just move on from there. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then it was just honing the lyrics. I think, I mean, I wrote it all with Big Hen. Obviously, I wrote the lyrics myself, but we like we made the song together. And I don't think I could have or would have made it with anyone else because he's like my best friend. And so I, I think it was through the nature of being with Hen that it was possible to write. A song that was as as whatever word you want to use but yeah yeah candid open <laughs> frank yeah honest. so kind of pouring your heart out and because you were in a comfortable position and yeah. able to do so you know? mm. and yeah. the music was connecting with you in this way yeah definitely i think it was just yeah that point in the diary i guess where there was you know this is the only song on the record that isn't built out of a sample of someone else hence it being called me <laughs> right right so um, we should explain that, mm. that a lot of the songs on the album have names or people's names as titles and then in brackets maybe a, a subtitle such as sabrina i am the party you know, yeah. which we were talking about um so this is me getting heavy yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it was originally called me quiet evenings that's what it says up here on the because that was one of the lyrics in the verse and then the last lyric of the, that ended up ending the song was heavy, so I called it that. But yeah, I think then it was, you know, it's the same thing in terms of honing the song. The only thing that really needed to be honed was the chord choices here, like when it goes. You don't need another whiteboard evening. That like falling down pattern. But I need you breathing. Which came from like quite intricately pitching the sample to allow us to make those chords yeah and then there's just you know giving it a bed of something to fall back on 
I think for me it was like a really to make a song that was so not dance music. I mean, there are a lot of songs on the record that aren't dance music, but to have it be so much like I don't know what type of music you'd say it is, but like it's definitely not a dance music song. And for that to be one of the songs that is like resonated with people the most, I think means a lot because then it's like, okay, great, I can make a whole bunch of different types of stuff and it will still sound like the same piece of yeah. work, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, there are a few different things that uh, connect the record together, you know, a kind of sound palette, you know, and one of them is, you know, the found sounds that are around you throughout the various different places that you take yourself to create. Um, another is the use of the sampled voices and the way that you bring those back and kind of weave them throughout the course of the record as well. For sure. And another is obviously your own voice mm. and also the way that you sing and the way that you choose to sing. Did you record those vocals on your iPhone? Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of treatments do you put on your vocals? I mean, we've kind of learned the go-to mic. It mm. is the iPhone yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. mic. Yeah, iPhone no. mic. So the go-to settings would be the Logic Silver Compressor. This <laughs> is going from something so like, so of the heart to so of the brain. <laughs> so you have to, if you hold Alt when you click on the plugins in Logic, you get the legacy plugins. And that's where the real good shit is because you get Averb, which is Brian's favourite verb. <laughs> Shouts out, Brian. You get Silver Compressor, which is a wonderfully crass shit compressor that just... I think the main reason why I like it is because when you turn it on, it's compressing it loads. So you don't really do anything. You just like... It's almost like a button for compression on or off. So it's just that. And then I just like... I mean, boring stuff. Like I rolled off the bottoms of the vocal a bit and the de-esser. I think the most technical I'd go, I didn't do it on this song, but the most technical I go is um, I love having a reverb before the compressor. I love the sound that makes because it means that you still get the upfront vocal, but as soon as there's a chance for it to breathe, the reverb seeps through into the sound and fills whatever void the lead vocal allows it to fill. So you get this really like full on, but still very clear sound that really exaggerates the space it's in. So that, if it's with like a room verb or even with a big one, it's just a very different effect. I find really like effective but if i'm honest it's because it does what the iphone compression does automatically right which is that if you speak into this and you're in a big hall it, you'll sound really close until you stop speaking and then you'll hear the reverb come through because the compression will inflate it up so i'm essentially just trying to do plugins and logic to make it sound more <laughs> like the iphone <laughs> yeah Brilliant. um let's hear another section of the master again and we'll move on from me to our next selection it's time to be brave So I pray for the same thing each evening My baby's healing interesting you know despite you kind of getting very real on us in, in a way with that vocal performance the little bits 
of other voices that we hear or other sounds take us to the other emotions that are on on the album as well don't they no Love, yeah yeah no i'm keen to i like them being a constant collage for sure yeah it's fascinating we're going to take another break and we'll be back and we're going to be looking at angie i've been lost next sick The next song we're going to look at from Fred Again's actual life is Angie, I've Been Lost, and this is how it sounds on the album. I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost for a while. But I'm really trying. I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost for a while. But I'm really trying. So that is Angie, I've Been Lost, featuring Angie McMahon, who I think is the starting point for this song. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about Angie and and where you found that. So I found that sample again on Instagram, just like stumbling around. And it was her, I think she's like sat on her bed, singing it with a guitar. And I was just like immediately obsessed with it, like... I just played that loop of her just singing that because when it gets to that, it's from her song called Pasta, which is an amazing song, but I didn't really know any of that at the time. I just had a kind of 40 second clip and I was just playing that bit over and over and over again. And this was weirdly actually at the beginning of last year because I didn't actually work out how to make the song until the end of last year, hence it being the last song in December. But for the whole year, it was like, like I call it like the compass <laughs> of the record because it was like, I would just always come back to this thing and I was like, I have to make this work somehow. And I cannot tell you how many <laughs> versions there are of it not working to me. Um, yeah, big ups, Angie, and her incredible, her voice is just like, weirdly, actually, I didn't know this. Maybe I subconsciously knew this, but I'd actually heard her sing a few weeks before I found the sample in like a random basement with like 30 people in East London because my friend... Leif Vollebeck, who's an amazing singer, one of my favourites in the world, he was playing and she came on and sang a song with him and me and my little brother were there and we were just like, oh my God, who is this woman? What has she done? And I hadn't quite put two and two together when I just stumbled across this video. And then when I was watching more of it, I was like, oh my God, that was that voice that I heard in the basement in, in wherever I was. So yeah, for like a year, I just flopped and flopped and flopped and failed and fucked it and got it wrong so many times I wrote so many songs around it um, the only thing that stayed was the drone <laughs> right? which in this case was the one and five drone the drone that got expelled from I'm a Party I think was the right drone here because it feels more like it surrounds her warmly to me but yeah like uh, I mean I'll play you some of them but yeah that would be great so that's really interesting that it took you so long but uh, also really interesting that kind of encounter with Angie actually seeing her perform 
and then somehow maybe subliminally finding yeah. her again on on YouTube. Yeah, and- totally. It was funny enough. It was a video posted by Annie Mac on her Instagram of Angie playing that one bit. It's almost like Annie Mac was sending you this. Yeah, so thanks, that, Annie. You know, I've voice noted her saying, "I appreciate what you've done for me." Yeah, <laughs> but also the yeah, just the amount of versions. I mean, Big Hen, who I have mentioned already, like the amount of times he's like come up the stairs at our gaff, and it's just been this playing around and around with me, just doing yet another set of chords or drums or verse lyrics or whatever. And right, yeah, over and over. We're gonna hear a few of those now. Yeah, yeah, think? for sure. Yeah, so excellent. I think so. The first version would have just been this. I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost for a while But I'm really trying I've just loaded up a piano so I can do it again It's the same thing I was playing on thingy Like, I'll just play over the thing to see what, like, works Like that's just playing random stuff now but it would have been a version that would have sounded like that for mm. 10 minutes and then outside the pub you hear the chords that just hit right and then began like so then there was this I'm really trying. Right. Say <laughs> there's my friend Ila when we're in Italy together at like 6am on New Year's Day She fell off the table and she was like, I wasn't here for a minute, guys. <laughs> so this emotionally, totally wrong. Totally wrong. I was just trying to find the pocket she could fit into. She's quite fast, so I was at 140 BPM. And I was at that time making a lot of four to the floor, 140, 150, even 160 BPM, four to the floor stuff because of the amount of time I spent in Burkhine. But this, you can feel it when it comes in, like it becomes mischievous. Like there's still some of Angie's heart in there, but it's like, it sounds like it's fine now and it's not the truth like it needed to sound like. Yeah. But I'm really trying is what it needed to sound like. So there's a whole version of that. I think I sang a verse on this one. So, um, and then there was this. I was trying to make the verse more of a main thing. Trying to make it less half time instead of. Seeing if it could just be like. More like keep the momentum of it going more. And then I thought maybe it could be like where it builds up in the verses. And then at the hooks it goes. Back to zero. There's kind of something in that, but it wasn't the version of the song that I wanted to end the record, if you see what Mm. I mean. That would be more like the middle. Then there was this one where it goes like, and this is just like, I've skipped loads in between these. This is like nine months later, this happened. Yeah. Yeah, the drums are slightly more right. And I got the chop this like this version of chopping up Angie's voice it felt like okay that now there's a place it can live 
that can stay in that world, but it doesn't have to go to like a whole verse from me to like deviate it too much away from it. Like it can cruise a bit more effortlessly. But these drums are, you know, still that kind of like, I mean, here they're almost two-steppy, but they go to being like a drill rhythm now. With the drill bass and everything. So here we're at like 136 or 38 BPM, but it still is like four to the floor, but like half-time snares. And it felt too, um, like macho, like there was too much like, drums felt too muscly yeah. um and then eventually i went to it's called the cottage edit one <laughs> i went to my mate trevor who was living in this cottage in in like amersham or something andover and in the evening i just started messing around with it being a bit slower and then jack shouts out the legendary parisis was like he had the beautiful bit of clarity to slow it down to speed it up in the sense of like the problem I was having is that it was a, a tempo that I couldn't quite put the kind of groove I wanted it to on. I was going half time all the time. And so he was like, but if you push it down to like 132, then we could put a groove on it that was double time and it would actually feel faster even though it was slower. Once that happened, the song breathed and it was like putting in this break. Because once you feel that... It sets a bed of a song that can now roll, like it's not feeling like it's too like staunch. It's now in cruise, like it can sections can come and go. It feels a bit more like there's a dance underneath it. That, that's obviously missing the bass. I didn't, this is the first version of it. Yeah. But once we had those drums, it became and like suddenly it could be four to the floor, and like there was a home for it that wasn't patronising Angie and wasn't feeling too like muscly or serious but like laid a foundation that the song could breathe in i think um also there's so many others i haven't played <laughs> yeah how many how many do you think you did in oh. i mean there'll be if i did all the different bounces there'd be like 200 but in terms of like different versions of the song probably 10 yeah, yeah. like actually different approaches to the song yeah. and in building the final drum pattern that you were happy with how were you doing that that was just through chopping, like that was very, very quick again. It was mm. just like a playing to Jack where it was at. And then he was like, have you thought about doing it this way? And I was like, no. And then we slowed it down. It was, it, it's that type of piece of like counterintuitive logic. You know, it's so often like if you're spending loads of time on a song, if there's like one thing that you're like, well, the one thing I know is this. Usually that's the thing you have to break to fix it so often. Like the amount of times where I'll be like, okay, the only thing I know for sure is it has to start this way. And then the solution is that you have to make it start. It's always that. It's so bait. The universe is so bait. <laughs> um, and so I think here I was like, I really wanted it to feel energetic and momentum. And so it hadn't crossed my mind that slowing it down could achieve that because obviously slowing it down alleviated space for a double time drum beat. But yeah, it's always, always the one thing you're holding dear is what you've got to kill to save the song as a whole um so i mean you had made a decision in your mind quite early on then that you wanted it to be up tempo and wanted it to be different to what angie's singing yeah yeah i wanted the drums to fight in a way the like absolute peaceful cloud that she sat on um i don't know why i just did 
that's based on just the feeling of it, which is obviously what it's all based on. Everything we're talking about is just, you know, technical execution approaches to try and get to the feeling of the thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is December then when yeah. you finally hit on this? Yeah. Amazing. And then, so how did you then realise that? I mean, maybe you could yeah. illustrate that. Yeah, like, I mean, sometimes we'll do it in... I don't remember if this was actually one of them, but I'm a big fan of, like, you know what we're saying about, like, speed and trying to get everything out of the way of your instinct. I'm fascinated by the extent to which you can compromise on the amount of time you have and it doesn't seem to affect how good what you get is. So, for example, this year, a lot of the time I've been, like, first thing in the morning, I'll, I'd started off, like, setting myself, like, okay, you've got an hour to make an idea I'd like put a timer on my phone just because again it just puts you into a state of kind of play of like okay go 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 don't worry if it's not just go and as this year's gone on I've made this timer shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where I now do 15 minute timers from like scratch I'll do four in an hour and always basically without fail three of them are rubbish and one of them's got something in it and that only took an hour and if I do one thing in an hour usually one in four of those hours is rubbish. So I'm like, hold on, <laughs> on a very like, <laughs> I don't totally understand it, but I think it's just like, essentially I think it's like you're buying more tickets to the lottery because really that's what most of this is. You're just trying to like wait for an accident to happen or something that you didn't really mean to do. Like you're just trying to get out of your own way and like hope that you accidentally press that button that makes the bass 10 times louder and they're like, oh, that's the song or you accidentally cut. It's always that. And so to me, the more tickets you can buy, into that lottery, the more likely you are to stumble across a thing that is outside of yourself. Because I have no interest in what is in here. I have interest into like what I feel reacting to something. Mm. I think that even you can do that down to like an approach on a song. Like if you've got a song you love, just be like, all right, I've got 15 minutes, make a different drum beat for it. Like real quickly, you don't have to worry about the palette of it and like making it sound perfect, but you'll get the feeling if it's like that pattern, you'll feel it if it feels right. And then you can choose the one that you made and really hone the sonic of it. Um, and I think this was one of those that we were doing with Jack. Um, yeah, so like, these are the stems of it. So yeah, the drums is... basically chopped up this break to make it play a different pattern but it's essentially all the break and then just choosing a kick drum with it like there's a few like triangle things layered on the hat and that little rim shot over there but essentially it's just the break and we use it on everything like it knocks in a clubby way but it feels like natural still it doesn't feel like mm. doof, doof, like it still feels like like that's the kind of thing that I'd spend like I think doing stuff in Berlin I just found myself like obsessed with like how these like small things particularly when it comes to dance music they're like really are important decisions I know I was saying earlier it doesn't matter how your kick knocks but it matters how your kick feels like it doesn't matter if it could be a little bit more 60 hertz but if the sample is like the difference between like a doo doo and a mm, mm, that's going like that for your whole song like that is so imp that's Carl Hyde Underworld Carl 
who obviously is in the business of a dong, dong, dong. <laughs> yeah. he, he, I remember him saying like, it's mad when people say like, oh, it doesn't matter. And I know that it sounds like I'm contradicting what I'm saying, but I do think when it's large scale stuff like this, it totally matters. Because this thing is for your whole song going to be going like, dong, dong, louder than everything else. Like if that's this sound or this sound, that matters. It just is, I think, about choosing the moment in your creative process to address those things. And like in Berlin, I spent loads of times just like making songs where you notice the difference between like how having a kick that feels like that does that like that would be a quite classic techno EK mm. and you can hear each time like that's a big harmonic piece of content that as opposed to the harmony it bringing being like totally different emotions um, I think that's what I mean it's when it's the emotion of it not the compression or yeah who cares about like a being your songs while you're writing them next to this other person's song in the mix it's like well don't a be that yet you haven't finished your song yeah so yeah i think i've sidetracked myself from what i was even saying but the the bass is just retro sense and logic again kind of like 90s like moby inspired bass sound yeah Even that drone is kind of Moby in a way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, these are just the ES2 dark pads in Logic. I basically only use, well, not only, but mostly I just use Logic stuff and and audio. Like, to me, the best sounds I've been making, it's all just, like, built on, like, sampling. I'll show you one. So this is one I was doing in a song the other day. This is all Logic. This is just the quick sampler. And then like a Valhalla verb, I guess, but you could use a verb or whatever. And so it's like chopping up things in quick samplers so you get like... I think this is running it through some LFO stuff as well, but... I'm just playing like different notes of MIDI. Like that's just a, a whole song dragged into quick sampler, but to me that has so much more layers of intricacy than loading up a random pad that I've used loads that inspires. There's things like that making the palette on this. I don't remember totally what it is, but... Um... Oh no, this one's a very pure one. That's just ES2 logic. I like kind of the either extreme. Like yeah. Either it's just the pad that is just like, ooh, like that's just, there's no, nothing to take in. It's just harmonic content. Or the one that's like absolute, like a million layers of intricacy in that. Um, and then... Oh, this synth, yeah. So that would be step effects in Logic. I mean, I'll put it on the whole stem now. Like, you can draw in the rhythms you want and make the filters and stuff react to it, which is what's making that synth do that because that would have been just a pad that's been like gated and modulated on the cutoff
And then the use of some of the other vocal samples and mm. stuff, because it, we have this in this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few different callbacks. The 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 biggest legend who you get at some point, I'm not totally sure where, is Carlos, who um, there's a whole song made out of Carlos and a billion others actually that I've made, but he um, is this guy that I met in Atlanta. He was like a construction worker and... I was just having a beer and he just like came up and said like, what's good, my partner? Like in his man, like I've literally got the video of him walking up to me and saying that. And I was like, yo. And then we just had this chat and I like got him some tequila or some shit. And like, we just had a hilarious like time. I was just kind of sat there. So and then you, are you outside what. the club, Stroke Pub or wherever you Yeah, are. so this is, yeah. this is a, yeah, we were outside a gig and he, um, yeah, and he, I mean, this So is, had you yeah. just performed or had you just gone? No, it was a friend yeah. of mine's show. Right. So it was like. My guy, what's he got to say? Yeah, it's me, man. This is Carlos. Right this has already got a pitch correction right, on it, man. as you can hear. Keep your head up. You know who it is when I come through. We're going to make it through. I want you to. Like, this is the raw file, but I've, I've tuned different lines to sort of find. So, like, the next day when I was, like, super hungover, I was, like, looking at this video. This is the first thing I sampled. And. And I was just cracking up looking at all these videos because he's a beautiful spirit. But I was like just putting them in and seeing how much, how close he is naturally to singing. Yeah, it's me, man. This is Carlos right here. I love you, man. Keep your head up. I'm just playing piano along to We're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. Like there's such a tone in that. Like, We're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. I want you to see me, Fred. I'm here. These guys are giving me life. Like loads of different experiments based on what you can do with him. But him going, we go make it through is on like loads of tunes on the record. Yeah, and that's yeah, kind totally. Of a motif. It's like a ongoing motif. Yeah, and it's interesting though. I mean, why were you filming him, or why were you recording? Because that? I'm always the person who's just like filming stuff for a night out because it's fun to have, yeah, and then yeah. for the reason I had. Because then the next day I'm lying in bed all hungover, like <laughs> like laughing to myself. Yeah, and I like being the one who's like just documenting all these moments like I laugh falling off the table on New Year's Day yeah. or whatever it is yeah. like I love it um, I mean it's interesting isn't it because hey as an older person no I'm not in sync with that mm. and so you know when I'm hanging out with younger people and they're doing that all the time you know and you're kind of thinking why are you doing that I mean yeah, obviously yeah. you know you can say well I'm doing that because then I, I go on to create a whole album out of this oh stuff. no but, uh, <laughs> but, but that's but you're, what you're explaining is that that isn't what you're doing you're, yeah, you're yeah. kind of it's a diary. An enjoyable way of, of yeah. processing things. Yeah, I think it's a diary. I think there's totally a risk that everyone is, you know, we, we can all come to of it taking you out of the present. But I don't think it needs to. I think it can, like, particularly if you're in a company where it's not um, disconcerting. Like, it's there's so many videos on my phone that me and my friends will just be like, oh, my gosh, there's a video of that happening or whatever. Like, like I've got a video on my phone of me when I'm waiting for the aforementioned Big Hen we were trying to break in our other best mate, Red, into Glastonbury. And I'm literally stood there like 10 metres away from them and security guards. And I'm there like, oh my God, I can't believe this is about to happen. And they're like going up to him. And I see them walk up holding like 50 braces of Guinness, like on either side. And he's not got a wristband and it's Glastonbury. And everyone says, you can't do it. And then they just like charm him somehow. And they're like, oh yeah, these guys, you can tell they're, they're all right. Let them through him. I'm just there like, what the fuck is going on? And then they're walking up to me holding like loads of Guinness. Just like, everybody stay very calm. Don't look like it. Just stay very calm. And I love having like all of these, like a million different moments on... Yeah, a diary, as I say. Yeah. 
Yeah. Whether they become anything other or not, yeah. it's not really. Yeah, I mean, and that ends up being a golden moment mm. and one that, you know, you get to use as a as a colour on your record, mm. you know, and, and it's purely by chance that you just happen, obviously, to be there, but to be yeah. recording it at that moment. I mean, you didn't know you are going to meet Carlos and you didn't know he was going to have this musicality to his speech or, totally. you know, or say these really uplifting yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. You know? I said, what are we saying, Carlos? And he said, we're going to make it through. Yeah, I'm enormously indebted to him. I'm trying to track him down as we speak. I sent him this like a few days after... When I'd made stuff, I texted him and he was like, this is crazy, man. But then his phone number changed or something. So I'm trying to track him down. So you did take his number just out of, you know, by chance in a way. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing is that because you've got these films and because you've got these recordings and then you bring them together with some of the other found material for mm. your live performance, you did this amazing performance in April kind of mm. of the album, really. Yeah. But when you're doing it, you know, you can see you triggering samples, playing keyboards etc but you've got this film or this screen yeah. with matched footage yeah, yeah is some of the original footage and safe with sabrina totally. you've got her speech but you're it's as if you're cutting it up in real time mm. and and it's quite a thing it's really powerful i mean oh, it captures it. the emotion and the sincerity of what you're doing but it also creates another level of entertainment you know for want of a better description you know and it becomes yeah. a, a package yeah know? yeah i'm i'm real looking forward to like really honing the live show side of it as well like i'm going to keep making these records and simultaneously going to keep trying to hone how to present it in its like purest form in the live world so it can be like yeah i don't know i just love it when it feels like there's this living breathing diary that can kind of animate and then go back to being small and private and then come out every now and then. Yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting um, dichotomy with what you do in terms of Fred again, artist, mm. Fred again, producer, Fred mm. again, songwriter. Which are you more comfortable with? Because it seems to me that part of you as an artist wants to share but doesn't want to share at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that is the case, yeah. I think I'm equally comfortable. They all very much inform each other, like... I'm never going to stop working with other people because you learn it's like a totally different part of the brain and it really informs the other part of the brain. So I feel comfortable with all of them actually, yeah. I'm just definitely, like the way I would explain it is it's like if I'm making a song with, let's say Storms, as you said him, like as a fan of Stormzy, I know I've got so many ideas of songs I can't wait to hear Stormzy make. And, you know, then thinking about as we were, last year or two years ago, like about him doing the Glastonbury show. I'm like, okay, right. What song do you want to hear? Storms, you come out and do it. Glastonbury and whatever. And these things that there's so many, you're so bird's eyeing it. You're so outside and able to see it as a fan, which leads to one type of creation, I think. And then the other stuff for my stuff, it's like, I'm just blindfolded and I throwing stuff at the wall. And then like every now and then I get to see what has been any of any value and I guess there's probably people like Jack and Hen who I work with are maybe more on the other role of they're like producing me. Yeah. But yeah, they're so different processes, but they really complement each other, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because it allows you to be the artist you are in terms of stylistically, mm. what you're trying to communicate. For sure. Because other artists that you're working with communicate other aspects of your, your personality that yeah, yeah. You know, satisfy you in that way. You no. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Totally. I hear that for sure. 
which is great for us because it means that we get something else. (laughs) We get Fred again, not the Fred again that could have been Fred trying to be Stormzy or Mm -hmm, or something. mm -hmm. No, it's fascinating. Um, We have a couple of questions we'd like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Maybe we should just kind of finish off this song. uh, So kind of build to the climax, as it were, of Angie. Let's do it. I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost, I've been lost for a while But I'm really trying I've been hurt, I've been broke, I've been bent out of shape for a while But you just keep me trying Where's that from, that don't have nothing left thing? It's from, I think it's from a video of a guy singing to his wife as he's coming down the stairs. And he's singing like a song. Again, another random thing on Instagram. He's like coming down and going like, I can't remember the song he's singing, but at one point he goes, I don't have nothing left. Yeah. It's great because, yeah. I mean, so many of those samples are as if you've spent a lifetime crate digging. <laughs> Trying yeah. to find those those random bits on vinyl. Yes. Whereas you don't need to do that now, in some ways. Yeah, the different crate. It's <coughs> yeah, a different yeah, crate. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. There are so many different kinds of crates that you're exploring, Fred. Um, <laughs> we ask a couple of questions of everybody who comes on tape notes. And one is Kit. Yeah. Now, we've talked about Kit in various different ways. And normally we say, you know, have you got a favourite piece of Kit or a piece of Kit that you can't live without? But I'm guessing that you're going to say it's your iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For sure it is, yeah. So you know the answer to that, yeah, definitely. But but in terms of, you know, as we get attached to different kinds of equipment, so is there a particular iPhone that you favour? Because, you know, they're constantly changing and evolving. They might get to an iPhone wherever it is, and it's it's like, oh, no, that's not good. The deepest I've gone on that is that there is a different compression that you get on a WhatsApp voice note to an iPhone voice note. What's that voice note? That compression algorithm should be sold for trillion pounds to like Fairchild or something like that is the best compressor I've ever heard. I don't really understand how it works. Like you can, it's like really extreme limiting almost is what it feels like it's doing. But sometimes I'll record stuff into WhatsApp. I'll often send like Hen or my mate E-Man or whatever voice notes that are just actually things that so I can export it from WhatsApp with the compression it has that does it. But yeah, both voice notes in. What's that voice memo is a, a gold mine. Yeah. yeah, and you're recording all those found sounds on just voice note. On, yeah, on, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So it's not as if you've even put in a special program that you want to use to record or anything. It's no, just, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just that I did at one point when I was like doing this lot, I bought one of those little attachable Zoom mics or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, why am I doing that as soon as I hit record? I've used it once to record a piano when I wanted to use a proper mic. And then we used the iPhone one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure maybe you'll speak to me in like a few years and I'll have become an absolute audio purist who's like repulsed by my past and like all I use is like U47s on everything Yeah, but yeah not right now <laughs> yeah yeah. well it's fascinating really you know, because it, it seems so simple and it's so um, open ended you know, because it means anybody you know, yeah. who can afford an iPhone yeah. has that to use you know, to whatever mm. end so I think some people find this really really exciting 
I really think, inspiring. Like, I, I think that the there's a whole lot of Emperor's New Clothes on the audio Puritan world. Like, I've never met someone who'll happily walk into a blind test on half the things they claim to be most important. There's no way I'm going to hang my flag next to a thing I can't hear the difference of, let alone when Skrillex is making pieces of music how he does off of Apple headphones sampling YouTube and through to the, you know, you mentioned the Disclosure Boys and like, the the only record that would throw a spanner in this that I truly love that is recorded would be Voodoo. And that's obviously a really, really different thing because it's all live instruments. Mm. But that is obviously quite dependent on the opposite end of the spectrum. And if I was doing that kind of music, I'd probably work in that domain a bit more. But for the like toolkit that I like to use, all of these things of like, you know, it has to be a this an AIFF or whatever and all that, like it just doesn't. I remember with, with Brian, when we did the record when I was like 18, we had to get a master of one of the songs we'd done. And it was all, the whole project was made so like loosely and it was all vague and there was a million different sessions and no one knew what was what. And all we had was this MP3 of the version we wanted to master. And the master was like, we need a WAV. And so, so with Brian, he's like, people put him at the top of this tree and he like dragged in the MP3 into Logic, bounced it as a WAV and sent it back off. So they saw .wav and they're like, load it in. Let's master that one. Right. Great. And I was like, well, fantastic. Brian is allowed to, like, you know, so many engineers would be like, yeah, Brian, you know, man, like the level of like details of sound. And it's like, he does have the level of details of sound just in the stuff that really matters of the like heart and things like if it's an mp3 it's okay <laughs> i think yeah yeah that's really interesting and the other question we always like to ask people is about advice and whether you've received advice from someone or you have through experience mm. learned some lessons along the way that you would like to share with other people i think it was a technical boring one that i think is just actually useful is an old friend of mine rupert who's a great engineer and producer and stuff he told me when you're not inspired which is often to do all that you can to prepare yourself for when you are inspired so like I've got a long list of stuff on my phone of like jobs that don't take inspiration to do so it would be like make 10 cents that are cool or just like things that's just a kind of just fucking around like or like make 12 drum kits that sound nice or whatever and just prepare your artillery because you can then if you make a session of like 50 sounds that you kind of fuck with but you didn't have any inspiration to really go anywhere with them the next time you're inspired you are gonna so quickly move in and through those and it will mean you'll be able to capture your instincts so much quicker so I think that's just a useful technical thing and then I think the mm, I think probably the thing I most practice would be like the discipline of it which is like to say like as much as there are times where you're just not going to be inspired and that's something good to do. I do think it is also like a muscle that can be trained. And like when I was at music college, like all of these people would be practicing classical violin like 14 hours a day until their fingers are numb or whatever. And I was like, right, okay, I want to take this and do it in my thing because I'm definitely not that. But like if I could like apply this school of thought to writing and producing and stuff, because... It's so a muscle and it's amazing to me how constantly like it surprises me even though I find myself saying this. Like, let's say you're feeling super uninspired for a whole week and you've already made the drum kits and the sounds and you're still sat there like, fuck. Find games, ways of making a game, like set a timer that's like 30 minutes and say you have to make a song that samples this song or whatever or close your eyes and 
touch the Spotify screen and sample whatever song you've touched or a million different things or go around the room you're in and record every sound you can see and make a song out of that. If you make a song when you're in a state of feeling really uninspired and you keep doing that, let's say you have a whole week of feeling really uninspired, but you keep powering through it, you will make something that's good, probably. And then that means that next time you're feeling dry and like, oh, I've got nothing left, you'll be like, ah, oh, but you see this sketch you did on that day that you felt a bit rubbish. That did actually then become something you really liked. And like this, I have to learn this lesson over and over again. Like literally a few weeks ago, we were finishing a, a record and it was like absolute, everyone was at the end of their inspiration for it. And we got so many good things, wrote three new great songs for it, finished loads of good ones. And the whole thing felt a bit just like, but we were all very much the school of thought of like, come on, let's get this done. Let's fall back on our like, we've been practicing 10,000 hours for these moments where you just have to like, rely on your instinct and your technical whatever and then it's there's a million other reasons why you're not feeling inspired and then you hear the things in two weeks and you're like oh great so the which is a great moral of the story because if the moral of the story is we'll just carry on if you think it's shit you're you could well be wrong you might as well carry on that's a way better moral of the story than if it's like every time you think it's shit you're right and just stop because that's so not it's not that simple and i don't think it ever has been so i think that's a really long-winded way of saying that to like hone the muscle of the discipline of doing it and enjoying just like putting it down edit later put it down edit it later and getting it out of you get it out of you yeah <laughs> get it out of you that's a great catchphrase fantastic i know it's such sound wisdom and quite um practical in some ways you know it seems mm. doable you know you yeah, can listen yeah. to that and think actually i'll just take that approach and it will yeah. get me places it's hard sometimes but it's why, why would it not be yeah. No one should be expecting it to just be like, yeah, that day I woke up and the song came to, oh, you know what? I've got a great anecdote I can close you on. <laughs> so this is, maybe you've heard this, this is a Brian story, but he, when I think it was U2 were making their um, second, no, like their follow-up to Joshua Tree or something like that. And they were in this state that so many people have been in, I for sure have been in it, where you're like glamorizing the process of your past records like let's say you had that song that was great a year down the line you you're just like oh do you remember that day where we all just hung out and wrote the streets have no name and it was all just really chill and everyone had a good time and then we had a beer and it was great and you your memory glosses over the time where there was three hours where you didn't have any verse two lyrics and everyone was pulling their hair out and your memory glosses over the time where the drum pattern was actually wrong for the whole first five you just color it all in and go oh, do you remember that time and you forget that you actually really did have 90 percent of it was you just really trying to work it out, like stroking your chin, being like, right, this doesn't feel necessarily easy. And so then you're in this trap where you're in the studio next time and the song's not coming easy and you're thinking, well, this isn't good. I remember how it was when it was easy. Let's set this one off. So this was the state of mind that apparently they were in. And Brian took them to, <laughs> he took them to like a, like a three Michelin star restaurant where, you know, you're, you're welcomed in and everything is like the absolute epitome of calm and perfection and just absolute beauty and presentation and it all looks immaculate and there's a like a waiter for each person and you're seated down and the room is stunning and all of that and they're all sat there and then he takes them into the kitchen where in a Michelin star restaurant like that shit it's like it's mad like if you leave a plate here for more than 30 seconds it's fucked and it can't be served and like absolute chaos and everywhere you look just people moving like crazy just like stress in their eyes and he was like guys 
this is your studio. Stop trying to make records out there. You make records in the kitchen. <laughs> this is what it should feel like. It's okay if it's like, feels chaotic, if it's okay, if it feels like there's you know, the songs causing you loads of stress and all of that. Like, it's just okay. Embrace the journey of it and stop trying to make it in this like, you know, clinical, sterile environment of everything should be done and easy and quick. So yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Fred, thanks so much for inviting us in here and sharing so much thanks, of your man. world with us. It's been absolutely fascinating. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. And we should play one more tune from the record. So an, an outro choice. An outro um, choice. What should we go for? Um, I think an outro could be... Oh, Big Hen, because he's got a lot of mentions. He has. <laughs> steal my joy in brackets. Can't nobody steal my joy. Can't nobody steal my joy. Joy. Don't know where I'm going for. Can't nobody steal my joy. Can't nobody steal my joy. Joy. I don't know what I'm going Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Feel like you're inside. Look at the smile across my face. Mm. You know I don't let go. It's not a pure heart, I know. I could feel this all my life. I don't know